Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast, aka Shelby, me, myself, and I, just thinking some thoughts and having a rapid-fire conversation with myself that you listen to and surprisingly download in quantities that I could have never possibly imagined. Because this really just is a stream of consciousness podcast. I do very minimal editing on mine, especially if they're not um, podcasts where I'm interviewing someone or featuring another person in the podcast. Uh, It's literally just me talking at myself for extended periods of time and just continuing on and on and on and on. So I really appreciate the support of this podcast. It's insane. Like it's uh, unbelievable because um, I think my mind can be hard to be in for myself because it's loud and chaotic and gets distracted and goes off in a number of different directions. So it's interesting to see that other people resonate with the way that I explain information and say things when it's so um, all over the place and like nonstop and disorganized and unscripted. Um, So I appreciate it for those of you who support and listen to this podcast. Anyways, today I've been thinking a lot about like horse equipment and things that we do to horses in the name of training and different types of gadgets and just the different methods of training that I've used over the course of the years that have been in the horse world and my general attitude towards horses and life in general during those times. And it's something that I've been thinking about often because I've been starting horses so differently even like within the last year or two years than I did even four or five years ago like my philosophy and my training has really changed and adapted and I've learned different and better ways to do things and I've developed a different mindset and it's been so much healthier for my self-perception um as well as how I treat and train the horse, treat, care, treat, care for, and think about the horses and perceive training and the rate at which they're being trained and all things related to that. It's been a way healthier mindset that I've adopted during like such a short period of time. And I don't think it's just related to like horses and training in general. Like I've also been taking a different approach to mental health and like going to therapy and doing all different things for myself that I'm sure contribute to it. But like the shift in the horse world, I actually think prompted a lot of those mental health choices for myself because viewing the horses through a different lens caused me to start viewing myself and my mental health through a different and more compassionate lens um, when I'd been very hard on myself and hadn't, yeah, hadn't, like had put a lot of pressure on myself for things that I didn't actually want without knowing that I didn't actually want them. But we'll we'll get to that. Um, so it's been a huge shift and a huge change. And I think about a lot because I see like comments online that remind me of things that I used to say or things that I used to believe or things that I used to be told. And they're defending things that I now vehemently disagree with um, and no longer do and no longer support and haven't done for a number of years. Um, so... It's it's been a big shift, and when things make me think of that, there's just this whole rabbit hole of thoughts that it goes down, and I was just thinking about some differences in my own training um, and just general thoughts of how like my mindset has shifted to believe the things that I do when I was so on the opposite side not even that long ago. Um, and I wanted to talk about my journey in hopes that other people might resonate with it if they're not currently on the same page. Um, and for people, like, I know a lot of the people who, like, literally hate me and everything I say and just think I know nothing probably don't listen to my podcast because I don't know if they could stomach to listening to me talk nonstop for this long. Um, so if anyone has sound bites that they like from this that might resonate with the people who need to hear it or might be a different perspective of, like, explaining something that you've been trying to get through to them, by all means, 
friends take them out. I always appreciate credit because it is my brain and my voice. But, you know, like, I also say a lot of stupid shit sometimes and bad jokes. So, I mean, you win some, you lose some. But, yeah, anyways, feel free to take sound bites and, sh- and share them or use them in posts if you don't think people will watch the whole podcast. Because I'm not really doing an awful lot if I'm only reaching people who are already agreeing with me. But with that said, I know I have reached people that disagree with me. But I think that the podcast in specific allows for, like, a unique insight on my philosophy and how I think um and also like my past and memories and like different things that I've done because it allows for such a variety of conversation in a fairly short period of time overall so I feel like on the podcast people actually get to know where I'm coming from more which is unfortunate because the content that people consume the most is usually short stuff on like TikTok um or Twitter or and Instagram and stuff where there's less of an ability for conversation and also less room to thoroughly explain things or even YouTube where they don't typically listen to the whole thing whereas you can listen to a podcast when you're doing something else um so people are more likely to hopefully complete them and actually or listen to most of them but but yeah, a lot of my other content that I release is listened to on pot like platforms where people are just looking to consume content quickly so they're quick to make assumptions and jump to different viewpoints and ideas and beliefs of what I think and like where my mindset is coming from which makes them feel more judged and also they don't they understand my point less so I think the podcast allows for me to explain things a little bit better so people can actually understand where my mindset is coming from and that even when I disagree with something um being like unwilling to say something like oh like oh yeah it's totally fine and chill to ride your horse in like x piece of equipment that at its core is about making the horse uncomfortable so that the person can skip steps in training um my stance being hard and fast in my beliefs and where I stand on welfare now isn't me thinking that people are like horrible people who cannot be changed or that have no redeeming qualities if they engage in the things that I no longer believe in because I did those very things while I still loved and cared for my horse but my view was just so skewed um, and ignorant and not wanting to believe the truth so like I was in massive cognitive dissonance so I wasn't ready to hear it but I still loved my horse it wasn't that I was like maliciously out to hurt horses so I can understand that people can hold the beliefs that they do and they can be causing their horses harm in theory without trying to maliciously actually cause harm to with the purpose of just being cruel to their horse like most horse people aren't actually trying to be deliberately cruel but there's so many layers to normalize cruelty and just like lack of empathy towards horses that we're encouraged to participate in from such an early point on in training that it's hard to not get into that mindset unless you're very fortunate to have come into the horse world at an age where you're more able to think for yourself and less naive and less likely to take other people's words as gold Um, or you have really good influences when you come into the horse world or both because there's such an echo chamber with these types of normalized practices and even just like the availability of equipment and all the tax stores you see it at or how commonly it's suggested by trainers or in facebook groups or by other riders then how normalized it is makes it seem like there is no other way. So people don't know that there's a way out and they can't fathom things that they've never had to think about and never considered and never been taught. Like you can't imagine a sense that you've never sensed, you know, like learning different aspects of equine behavior and becoming more sensitive to how they actually think and undoing all those old biases is like developing a sixth sense it's like trying to imagine how a psychic person would think without being psychic or trying to imagine a color that doesn't that that 
you've never heard of. You can't imagine something that to you has never existed because you can only create things within the confines of the knowledge that you have. So I was locked in that sort of mindset for a while when I was slowly adapting my training practices because I had been part of such a closed-minded part of the horse world where I had so much abuse normalized in front of me and so many shortcuts handed to me easily that I didn't know how to actually do any thing properly and I also didn't value like the actual work you have to put in to get the foundation to have the type of horse that I wanted to be riding I wanted to cheat my way there because that's what I had been taught you could do um and I wanted to reap all the benefits that I saw of people on highly trained horses who were well trained who weren't anxious who had all their needs met but I wasn't doing all those things for my horses and because I didn't know that there was another way and because I didn't know what the contributing factors were to the things about my horse and my riding that bothered me I didn't know how to address them so when they didn't get fixed fast enough or if I didn't have a solution it would cause me to become frustrated with the horse and like lash out at the horse or be more likely to take shortcuts that impacted the horse and then work to justify them because I wanted I didn't I was at like a dead end and I didn't know what to do and I had no real guidance from trainers who actually knew how to suggest things outside of like oh try a new bit or get after him discipline him more and like actually consider how to alter behavior at its source and address the reasons why behavior is going on rather than just constantly looking for the band-aid fix um I hadn't ever been taught those skills so I couldn't consider how to do them and when I had no other resources I would just become frustrated with the horse so it was very easy to take it as like a me versus the horse mentality where the horse is doing things on purpose and not listening to me and he knows better rather than blaming myself because I didn't know what else to do and I thought I was doing everything that I could and my guidance was wrong so it was frustrating when you're constantly trying to seek guidance and get help from other people who you respect in the community but you're on you're getting the same or similar suggestions um, or just judgment that isn't accessible or helpful to you wherever you are. Um, and it was a frustrating place to be. And I think that a lot of that frustration got redirected at the horse because I didn't know how to actually properly address my lack of knowledge or my frustration, honestly, with like how I was having to train my horse and the things that my horse was doing. Like both me and my horse were frustrated and stressed all the time. Um, and I couldn't really properly address why I was stressed or upset at that time. But now that I've made so many changes in how I do things and how I work with horses, I've realized that so much of that frustration and anger that I felt towards horses that caused me to look for shortcuts in training or lash out and punish my horse was actually coming from my lack of willingness to actually want to train like that, but feeling like there was no other way. Like I had no other solutions that were being taught and accessible to me that made sense to me. And I had been so misguided for so many years that like completely turning that all around seemed like it could not possibly be true and that like everyone else was lying to me because so many people had been lying to me about the right way to do things with horses for so many years. So then when you're encountering evidence that's actually factual and like scientifically backed that conflicts what like thousands and thousands of horse people support and what so many people like a large percentage of people in the community support directly in front of you it feels like it has to be fake because how could it be possible that so many people are doing things in a way that goes against what is at its core best for the horses uh, be it management or training wise it feels like the science and people on that side have to be like 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 zealots and like like just oh yeah overzealous about their points and just like taking things to an extreme 
because it feels so extreme compared to what you have been taught because we've been so far off base. And that frustration got redirected at my horse again and again and again. It never, never helps the problem. Um, And even with stuff like training aids, I've been thinking about this, like people are seeking the goal of having this well-trained horse that carries itself well and has like properly developed muscle, but they want it quickly because they've been taught by so many role models and other people in the horse world that they can just go out and get these things quickly. And that if you get like X piece of equipment or magical bit, that it'll solve your problems and your horse will get to that point quicker. And it's all about trying to get that quicker, but they're doing it with like well intent because they want their horse to be stronger and better and more able to do things safely and happily you would hope um but they're going about it in the wrong way because like let's let's talk about different types of bits and equipment like even first we'll start with like draw reins or martingale or like anything like that like Shambons, lunging rigs, Pessoa lunging rigs, anything that has any impact on like the bit or the head and where the horse is carrying itself. But especially things like draw reins and side reins that pull the head in and are about like trying to manufacture a position by pulling the horse's head down. These are used with good intent, trying to teach the horse how to carry themselves properly, but they're missing the mark because regardless of what the goal is even if the horse is holding a position that in theory is building the correct muscles if you force that position for too long past the point of muscular fatigue the horse is gonna have to compensate in some other way using some other part of its body when the muscles that are underdeveloped can no longer sustain what you are asking of them like even as humans we know this for ourselves you could want with all of your might to be able to do a full split but pushing yourself to do that right away or way too quickly isn't going to make you more able to do that it's just going to injure you or it's going to cause you to have to overcompensate with other muscles like for example if I wore weighted shoes all the time while I was working and I just forced myself to work through it and kept working in theory yes I could do it and I could complete my work day but doing everything that I do with unexpected extra weight especially to the extreme end for the whole time and not like cutting back or doing it in sets or doing anything to consider the fact that I've not developed my muscles to factor that in I would be putting myself at high risk of injury or over developing other muscular structures that don't actually serve me to compensate for the fact that I'm overworking myself past the point of my current level of fitness or flexibility. And with horses, we cheat and we do this all the time to force them into positions that they are telling us with their behavior and their bodies, they are not able to sustain for the amount of time that we are asking. But since people are impatient and they don't want to wait and they've been allowed in our culture to force horses to do things like that, they just use whatever they can to make it happen quicker. And it's always at the horse's expense. And honestly, the amount of injuries and like behavioral issues we'd see would be slashed in such a degree if we actually started to consider the training pyramid and like fitness for what it is and what we would consider with ourselves as humans and not rushing it and not trying to get to the end goal too soon. Because yes, you can force your horse into what looks like close to what your end goal would be but they're not at their end goal fitness wise so being able to force them to do it because you can't feel the pain or discomfort that they're in and because you have the equipment to muscle an animal of that size into a outline that they're not going to be able to carry for the length of time that you're asking or they're not going to want to carry because they don't understand yet being able to do that does not mean that it's suiting the animal's well-being physically or mentally 
um, nor does it mean that you're actually doing it properly. Like, you can try to cheat your way through any type of exercise or sport, but if you're not actually training yourself properly and, like, developing the muscle and endurance and fitness that you need to do properly, you're at way higher risk of injury and you're also at higher risk of just burning yourself out. And that's as a person who has way more consent involved when you're deciding to do anything than horses do. Horses don't understand the purpose of anything that we are asking them. They don't know what they're actually doing. They're just trying to exist in a human world. And that's why it's even worse that we're doing things that affect their bodies physically and also affects their minds mentally because it's putting them in such a predicament that is so uncomfortable and just sustained discomfort. And then anything that they do to try to voice that discomfort is often ruled as bad behavior and then punished. So they're constantly forced to do things that hurt their bodies and then they're gagged in their communication and punished for communicating. And how can you have an athlete like that actually enjoy their job and not feel like they're in an unfair situation? Um, when they're not allowed the time to be conditioned properly and more comfortably. And they're also not allowed any voice to voice when something is too much or when it's painful or when they cannot physically do it anymore without being punished and pushed harder. And when they also don't get to technically consent to any of the above. You can't. And this is the horse world. And like people often, when I say things like this, they take it as me attacking the entire horse world and like being like, oh, you're calling everything abuse then. And it's like, no, I'm saying that there's a very pervasive problem with the culture of horse riding and training that needs to be completely turned around. Because I'm not saying that we can't accomplish the same types of things that we've been doing with horses, using them with sport. I'm not saying that that, that in itself, the idea of using them for the things that we do is the problem. It's how we go about doing it and how selfish it is for human interests because what we're doing is constantly putting the horse second in order to get to the end goal and then it's done in this weird gaslighty backhanded way where it's like oh we always put the horse first and it's like okay but if that's true then why is it so common to see horses not allowed to socialize because it's easier for human purposes or not allowed out in large enough fields where they actually get to move around or paddocks even because they could get injured or not allowed to do like normal species appropriate behaviors because people want to do it their way like that's without even factoring in training stuff like horses not being allowed to voice discomfort horses not being allowed to actually build muscle at a reasonable rate that is healthy and safe for them mentally and physically it's all about people rush 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 and following on that timeline and then people will just be like oh it's all about the horse the horse always comes first but it's done in this such a weird gaslighty way when no one's actually putting the horse first in practice but then they'll turn around and say that about weird things like oh my horse gets massage or my horse gets all these expensive supplements or I spend so much money on my horse and it's these things that the horse itself doesn't actually really value in the grand scheme of things but they're used to be like look at how spoiled they are they always come first I'm broke like I have no food my horse always gets to eat first but then they're not actually meeting all of the animal species specific needs. And I know this is really going to trigger some people, but I literally said all of these very same things. So believe me, I get the attitude behind it because I'm sure on some of my videos or posts, if you go back far enough, you will probably find me shitting all over stuff that I believe now. I guarantee you. So believe me, being there, done that. I'm not judging people for this. I'm just pointing out 
it for what it is rather than lying to everyone like so many people do. Um, And I think that's what makes people think that I come off so aggressive because they think that I'm attacking them when it's like, no, I'm attacking a culture that you were a part of and participating in because that's what you've been indoctrinated into and trained to do by so many different people. And now you're scared of the way out. So I get it. It's not a judgment on you. But at the same time, I'm so tired of coddling people. I don't want to lie to people about scientific evidence or like lie to people about what is actually like when you come down to it, what is actually the best way to care for horses and how unideal so many normalized forms of horse care and training are for horses. I'm so tired of lying to people about that. Like I don't want to have to like be like, oh yeah, like it's no problem that like 90% of horses probably spend more time in a stall than outside. Um, And on top of that, the stalls often offer no social interaction with other horses. Like, I don't, like, if people want to believe that, they don't, I don't owe it to them to cater to their delusion anymore, especially when I've dragged myself out of that very delusion. I know exactly where they're coming from. And if people would sit down and talk to me about where my opinions come from before they get really defensive and start, like, dragging me as a trainer or a horse person or calling me, like, a tree-hugging hippie or making fun of the fact that I haven't competed at high enough of a level or something, they'd realize that a lot of my ideas would probably actually better their ability to use their horse in its current state if they tried it. And they would also realize that it's not coming from a place of extremism, but a place of, like, deep pain and resentment for how long it took me to get to the mindset that I am now and how I'm still learning and also for how I'm not able to provide all the things I'd like to for my horses to the highest degree because of like geographic location money um inability to own property and so on and so forth like there's all these things where it's like frustrating because like I've been like I've I've had to constantly shift from that mindset and now that I have and I've realized how much damage I caused horses that I used to own and even some that I currently own as well with mistakes that I've made in the past and how much better things could have been if I'd learned sooner um, it makes me really frustrated to listen to people constantly just enabling the delusion of others or viewing it as like meanness to share information because disagreeing with like the way someone does thing something or certain practices or not believing in it or not thinking that it's the best way or most comfortable for the horse or the nicest way the horse can be handled doesn't mean that you dislike someone as a person it doesn't mean that you think they're a bad person it doesn't mean that you think that they're an animal abuser it just means that you don't dis you don't you don't agree with the practice um but it's so like since the horse world is so heavy on like the traditional side of things and doing so many things that are so normalized but also so linked to immense welfare issues in horses since there's so many people that are doing all this they're so loud that they can basically try to bully other people who are well-intentioned and have done research and do know things into silence by making them feel like they're the stupid ones because there's so many other people on their side willing to agree with them and blatantly deny what like all this scientific research is showing us about honored horse care and training practices so it's really like like that's why this whole situation in the horse world frustrates me so much because it's basically like framed as like bullying almost if you even criticize normalized practices like even just something as simple as like a bit or a piece of equipment it depends on what equipment it is or who sees it but some people will go off and like blow it so far out of proportion because you've criticized something that they clearly use and they want to defend and it's really about them and their internalized guilt or their uncertainty with the equipment they use 
um, that they like can't take it. And it's it, it, like I've seen entire movements created because people have been told that certain upper level riders have done unethical things and they're so compelled to defend the practices or the equipment that they use or what they do in training that they're literally defending like negative behavior that no one should defend and it's so weird because like the Mark Todd thing is what I'm thinking of obviously with that but also like Marilyn Little and stuff like I've seen people defending those people because of the level that they compete at and that is so often used for credibility in place of science and also like deliberately to deny science and it's so frustrating like this is why I refuse to kind of like I just because people's feelings might be hurt by me saying that like best case scenario your horse should be yes turned out and have free choice access to forage and that like stalling is largely unnecessary and like almost 100% related to personal preference of like people and how we've built like modern horse care and living situations to be incompatible with what horses are actually supposed to have like that doesn't mean I'm criticizing people who have to use the world that we've created but it also doesn't mean that I don't think we should have the discussion that we need to in order to start encouraging the building of a new one and starting to modernize what we have because even with existing barns and whatnot and existing training practices um, and training programs there's ways to better the way we've been doing things and start to alter mindsets that aren't about completely flipping the world on its head and going to the very other extreme Um, and with like training gadgets and stuff I think that's a big one because this isn't to say that any and all training gadgets shouldn't be should be shouldn't be used because like something like a running martingale for like a child riding a horse that may or may not throw its head or something can just be a safety thing so they don't get nailed in the head it doesn't necessarily need to be impeding the horse's every move if it's being used correctly should it in a perfect world not be necessary at all if the horse is well trained well managed not in pain and like not stressed and so on and so forth yes Absolutely. But is it always realistic in a practical world? No. Now, things like draw reins, 99% of the time in a practical, reasonable world, if we actually put the work in required to build horses up properly and addressed underlying stress and pain behaviors, stuff like that would be completely unnecessary because they're largely used to force horses into a position that they're not yet ready to carry and even a rider with the most excellent hands and the most excellent feel cannot feel exactly when their horse fatigues and can no longer manage the neck position they're asking them to carry because of the nature of the physics of draw reins like they're they amplify pressure they're a pulley system and that means that when the horse does lean on them or when they start to fatigue and when you can't fully see their face and their eye to actually see what their face is doing and how they're looking um stress wise and also when most people don't know how to read those subtle signs you have no real way of knowing whether or not your horse needs to relax out of the draw reins and be let out to like change their nose position stretch their nose out lift their head like uninvert and so on and so forth and also even if you're nicely suggesting to your horse to lower your head if, if their head with draw reins like some people say they're like you see it's like a suggestion of where they should put their head it's still a pulley system so what nicely suggesting is consistently asking the horse to lower their head if you think it is too high and that is also up to individual interpretation um which again is could be asking the horse to carry a position that they're not yet ready to carry or that they might be carrying for some number of reasons that aren't being considered so stuff like that i think is about the 
human's convenience over the actual well-being of the horse because honestly even something like and people probably think i'm crazy like people in the show world are probably like this freaking bitch like she is so annoying this tree hugging bitch but i'm gonna say it call me pop clicky bitch but a target stick if you want to teach your horse where to carry their neck you want to know what works better than pulling their head down forcibly by the mouth assuming they're wearing a bit uh because i've literally never seen someone who rides bitless use draw reins is that even a thing anyways a target stick if you reward them for the neck position you want to see and encourage them to stretch on their own accord by rewarding them for doing so they will pretty quickly start carrying that position all the damn time because they get fed cookies when they do it and it's also a very easy way of directing your horse where to carry their head or even when you're teaching them how to steer um reliably and you can start doing it at liberty if they're not yet at the stage where they can carry it well with a rider and you can use it for all sorts of things like that and I've had way more success with that than I ever have had with draw reins. Not that I've used them for years now, but way more success and like consistent lasting success where the horse actually builds correct muscles because they're not having to overcompensate for muscles that they're fatiguing or um, muscles that are carrying tension and therefore not being used properly uh, by using different muscles, incompatible muscles for what you're actually trying to build like they do with so many training um, gimmicks and equipment. Like if you look at so many gadgets and whatnot their photos the horse's necks are not properly developed and the ones that are i would question if the neck was actually developed using the gimmick itself or if they just pulled a naturally nice conformed horse who's living out on pasture or in a good program out as a model and threw it on because it looks best because you like it would be very hard like it'd be easier to not use a lot of these training gimmicks like the Pessoa system or side reins um, or Chambons or Degogs and so on and so forth. It would be easier to use most of these things with the general person's knowledge and the average way they are used. It would be easier to train your horse how to go correctly and build that muscle without them than it would to try to maintain the near perfect use you would need to have of a piece of equipment um, and how easily you need to be able to read your horse when you're taking away your ability to have that feel because you're using a piece of equipment in place of your own personal feel of the horse and just riding the horse so the it would be easier to do without the equipment because the perfect use that you would need to maintain to use the equipment as properly as you'd need to to avoid so many of the functional problems that can cause your horse is not really reasonable because most of the people who are compelled to use these types of equipment are lacking the experience that they would need to realize the full repercussions of the wrong use, both mentally and physically for the horse. And a lot of people aren't actually taught the proper mechanics of the equipment they're using or how it works or why it works. And they're taught wrong things or they're given a bunch of different weird justifications for the equipment and why it's being used and how it works or why their horse is quote unquote better in it or softer in it or easier in it. So they develop these incorrect beliefs of why their equipment is working and they'll even use excuses like, oh, my horse just likes it better because the horse is easier for them to ride or they're more able to do whatever the next goal in training was or getting rid of or the appearance of a bad habit that they didn't like in the horse they view that as success and the horse being happier when really it could just mean that the response has been effectively gagged and ignored. And if you've just gagged communication, you haven't actually addressed the underlying issue. Or if you've just forced your horse into a certain position using equipment to pull their head down, 
most riders can't actually feel how well their horse is using their core and hind end. Like a lot of them can't. And a lot of the horses using a lot of these gadgets are heavy on the forehand and dragging their hind end or not using their core properly. Or even if they start off using their core properly, as soon as they fatigue and can no longer maintain that position and it gets uncomfortable, they start sagging and dragging that hind end because they're not able to maintain it. Um, even if it starts off well. And people don't really realize the negative repercussions of this in terms of like lameness and long-term soundness or usability or how the horse builds muscle and maintains it um, and how long you can actually impact your horse if you teach them how to go like functionally incorrectly um, by forcing them to do things too quickly or trying to move them up that training ladder too fast and not actually developing the foundational um, muscle and fitness that they need to carry you properly or do the things that you're asking of them. It can be so, it's so much harder to try to retrain a horse who has been taught how to do things so incorrectly um, or has been taught how to like evade the bit and just go inverted and behind the bridle and behind the vertical because of the equipment that they've been ridden in. Trying to retrain that and like untrain that and train them how to do it the right way is so much more difficult than starting off on a blank slate. And a lot of people make their jobs harder by trying to use all these band-aid fixes, all these gadgets and all these gimmicks and different types of methods that are said to be quicker but then the methods themselves even if they actually address the singular behavior or whatever the person was trying to achieve with them they can cause so many other negative follow-up behaviors due to like soundness or mental health repercussions or behavioral repercussions because of the problems that they cause so really you're not actually getting much further ahead and I say this as someone who has done this because all it like earned me like with my Arab for example the years of just tying his head down with like draw reins or like the 10 ring Arab martingales or uh twisted wire bits and just riding him incorrectly back to front and trying to just get his head in and having that be the focus oh get his head in his nose is out get his head in like get his head down his head is too high his head his head his head never the back never the core never the hind end like the head the head the head where's his head get his head in and all of the years of that like that horse developed a sway back so early because he never developed proper top line muscle along the back and never learned how to truly engage himself because we were constantly fighting him on carrying himself on teaching him how to carry himself properly and naturally without a rider he could carry himself very correctly and knew how to move around but we ruined it because we tried to manufacture all of these different positions and it caused behavioral problems and also like physical issues like sway back and probably long-term soundness issues i would imagine or not necessarily sound issues just issues just like functional issues with how he would have carried and gone around that would have otherwise been avoided um and even with milo and i've said this in other podcasts with how quickly i tried to bring him up over fences i actually created a lot of his confidence issues because i could have done it better and i could have gone about it in a completely different way and i could have used a rewards-based system in that regard more so than i did at that point to have made it better for him and it would have been more successful and he would have developed more correctly and I also could have addressed his hoof issues sooner all of those things were things that I could have considered and I could have done better and realistically if you can't look back at things that you've done like even four to five years ago as a rider like and say stuff like that I don't know if you're being fully honest with yourself because who actually is at that level of perfection like we're constantly learning if you can't look at things that you've used to do when you've supposedly learned more and go yeah I wouldn't do that now or I would do this better then have you really learned because 
with him, there's a lot of things I could have done better. And like, I've had people try to use that as like a gotcha against me when they don't like something that I'm saying. And it's the silliest gotcha because it's like, literally all you're doing is pointing out my personal growth and the fact that yes, I've made mistakes, but now I'm trying to correct them and also encourage other people to do the same. So what am I supposed to be ashamed of in that? Like, if I started Banksy the exact same way I started Milo and went through the same thing and the same problems and made the same mistakes, then people would have every means and every right of saying that. But I d- I'm not going to do that. And Banksy's already so much further along, both like physically and mentally than Milo would have been at his age that like I've already more than achieved that. And also, like, even with Milo, like, the difference, the jump from, like, my first horse, Farley, to Milo in terms of training and equipment that I used on him was so huge because Milo's never worn draw reins. Milo's never been ridden in, like, an elevator bit or a gag bit or a pelham or any type of twisted wire bit or any of that. Like, he's never had to deal with a lot of that stuff, even though he had to deal with stuff that he shouldn't have had to deal with due to me being naive at that point. But he survived a lot of things that Farley had to deal with for like years like even like the whole lack of turnout thing and all that jazz like Milo was like on the redemption curve of that where turnout was much more of a priority um and he was fortunate because that was something that I was way more conscious of when I had him so there was already some huge changes just from like that jump and like leaving that era of like horse ownership in the Arab circuit to there so It's interesting to me, like, how eagerly people are pointing out, like, my flaws or mistakes that I've made in the past in a desperate attempt to try to evade whatever flaw they feel I am pointing out about themselves or people that they respect. Um, Because so much of it will just be like, oh, yeah, you did, even, like, with clients' equipment, I had someone be like, oh, well, you rode your horse in a hackamore with a long shank, and it was a client's horse. And I'm like, yeah, you're correct. I rode them in the equipment they'd been going in for years as I got to know them because I can ride in it with two reins and I can do it well and then I can decide if there's better options once I get to know them and their owners and develop a mutual trust and comfort on all sides um and it yeah it's weird like if you if your first response to something is to just attack the person and be like oh well you did this wrong so then you really need to consider where your response is actually coming from because if what you are trying to defend is actually defensible, you don't even need to bring up my past if it's like a piece of equipment or something. My past would be relevant if I was starting to do those same things and started completely like backsliding to the way I used to be and defending all that stuff. Then you could be like, you're full of shit. But <laughs> um yeah, it's it's weird. It's an evasive tactic. And it's something that I used to do a lot. And I've been really working on not doing because like, if you can defend your stance on something, you shouldn't need to like personally attack people. Or if you're going to criticize things that they do, it should be like a relevant criticism to the discussion that you're having. Um, and it's been something that I've been trying to get more conscious of because like when I felt defensive, when people would present me with information that I didn't know how to refute, I would do things like that, that were like unfair, low blow attacks that had really no real defense on my side um and that was when I wasn't really as open-minded to trying the whole positive reinforcement thing and when I felt like attacked by a lot of what people were saying because it was such a heavy criticism on what I had grown up around so heavily and what I had already started to stray away from and develop more ethical methods than what I'd learned so then being told that like it still wasn't good enough was like a huge trigger for me and it caused me to like respond to it in a way that wasn't necessarily fair when really I should have been responding to it with like curiosity and being like 
<sighs> like, well, like, what if this works? Or, like, trying to understand it a little better than I did, at least. Even if people weren't always necessarily presenting it in the right way. But I responded with defensiveness because I already had some, like, internalized insecurities and misgivings about the way I was doing things with horses. So it was a defensive response. And I see this in a lot of people responding to me. And it's very interesting. Like, I enjoy having conversations with people who are, like, very much on the opposite side to me because it's interesting. Um... <laughs> It, it it reminds me of, like, how I used to respond to things and how I used to do things with my horses and justifications that I used to use. But it's also really frustrating sometimes because you're just like, wow, you're really laying into this. And also, like, where I stand on, like, my socials and stuff where I would say it's, like, a little bit different um, than maybe the average person on social media where like I'm posting a lot of videos just to my own account. So the way I view discussion is that if someone thinks I'm just a moron and really doesn't agree with what I say... Um, and like what I'm saying is not harming horses. If they don't care and they just think I'm full of shit and I know nothing, then they don't need to like personally attack me. But when people make this whole hate parade about me, um, and dedicate like days and days and days or weeks and weeks just to like personally insulting me and commenting on all my different videos or making a bunch of different videos about me, um, and like about me in specific, not the points that I was making. Attacking points that I make is totally fine. But as soon as you start going, oh, you're just like a stupid idiot trainer who has no real credentials, it's like that is first of all untrue like just objectively untrue and it's just like what does that have to do with any information that I'm putting out especially if the info being used is not coming from me myself and I um but it, it's it's interesting is when people respond that way it tells me right away that it's like more about themselves than it is actually about me they're lashing out at me and I'm just the mere fixture for their anger and animosity um because honestly most of the videos that I put out in my most of the information I put out in my videos is not coming from myself. It's coming from people who have more experience in the horse world who have already studied these things and experimented with them. And yeah, some of it I have realized in like my personal work with horses and noticed that it's like upheld anecdotally for myself. But a lot of it is research based and also just like functionally based with like the physics and mechanics of how equipment works and acts on a living body biomechanically. So most of it's not actually coming from my personal opinion um, when we're discussing science-based things and, like, ethics things. Uh, so when people use me as, like, the spotlight for all of their animosity and just, like, f fixate on trying to discredit me rather than the point being made or where that point is coming from, it's really eye-opening because I see it so often in the horse world and I saw it in myself and I used to do the very same thing and it's all about trying to evade any accountability and trying to evade reconsidering how we structure our horse world and how we train our horses and how we care for our horses and how we consider the equipment that we use on our horses because generally speaking there's room for improvement in any type of industry um, and like especially when we're talking like even just like apparel let alone like equipment like bits or like different types of training gadgets and whatnot when so much of the world is catered towards us as humans there's a lot of room for improvement when we're starting to consider animal welfare more um and a lot of what i criticize is in consideration for the horse and like their well-being mentally and physically um and if people want to pretend that they're caring about the well-being of the horse or if they actually want to have that be a forethought a, a forethought for them um and at their, the top of their concerns for their horse, if that's actually what they want and if that's how they want to be perceived as a horse person, then that comes with considering the fact that a lot of the normalized equipment that you've traditionally used 
might not necessarily be at its peak in terms of comfort and ethicality for the horse. Um, and this includes anything, but all, like especially stuff like bits or training gadgets where the intent is to try to use it to get the horse to do certain things faster. And I'm not anti-bit, but there's way too many bits on the market. We don't need the variety of bits that we do. Or if we're going to have that level of variety, it should be in terms of custom bits for specific anatomies of mouths of horses with like dental grade materials that are intended to be soft on the soft palates in the mouth of the horse. It shouldn't be with all different types of bits with different leverages or different um, types of abrasive materials to try to get the horse to respond quicker or submit faster or be less strong and so on and so forth. If there's going to be a variety, it should be in consideration for the welfare of the horse, not trying to um, make up for people's lack of patience or lack of ability as trainers or lack of ability to recognize where their problems in training are actually stemming from and address the cause rather than just trying to cover up the behavior. Um, so I just lost my train of thought, kind of. Uh, but if we start to kind of reconsider that and start to consider welfare first, then the variety will at least be in consideration of the horse. But right now it's largely about conveniencing people. So the amount of things on the market and the amount that's like certain methods of training are normalized in certain equipment pieces and bits or like how commonly they're used. Yeah, like normalized and common are the same freaking thing. God damn it. But how how they've been used historically for years by lots and lots of people and how they're supported by big names in the business and whatnot. When welfare has not been the forefront of our concerns as horse people historically until very, very recently, and even now it's still a very small margin of people that are honestly doing it authentically to the point where they're willing to reconsider old biases without freaking out for years. And I say that because it took me years of freaking out slightly to get to the level of peace that I've made with myself. So again, not a personal attack, but it does apply a lot to a lot of people. So if the shoe fits, wear it, Cinderella. Anyways, um, so we, we have to get past that point because we have to realize that like even people you respect in the community and like even upper level pros who have gotten there to the top and ride around on nice horses or make lots of money or who are well known, welfare is not at the forefront of concerns in competition and in the horse world in general. So if you get to the top at, of the levels at this current state of the horse world where welfare is not considered for you to get there, you can do a lot of different things and meet success. Like look at Andy coacher, coker, however you say his name, who cares? I don't care if I say it properly. He doesn't deserve it. He used electric spurs and he was competing Grand Prix for a number of years and very well known. So exhibit A, and yes, he got in trouble now. He was successful for a number of years and he was able to exist being unethical and using very gross types of bidding gadgets that people could plainly see that he didn't hide as well. I'll put that in quotations because I don't know how well hidden the spurs actually were if there's photos of him with the trigger in his hands. Um, but anyways, he was able to ride publicly in really harsh bidding rigs and have people's respect and like really didn't lose any of that until the electric spurs came out. And even then people still would defend him. And he's just one example of like a great many that are existing at the levels having done unethical things to horses. So it is just like, whether you want to believe it or not, it is a simple fact that ethicality is not required for success in the horse world right now. So we should not be using success at the upper levels of the horse world as a 
defining factor of ethicality when you literally do not have to be ethical whatsoever to get to the top levels of the sport. And this has been rampantly shown over the course of years because the degree of abuse that you have to engage in to actually be cancelled and stop doing well at the upper levels or get actually banned is so absurd that it shouldn't even be factored in. Like, he has to get to such a harsh point. There have been so many scandals of upper-level riders doing shitty things that they have either not been punished for at all or that have barely affected them and they've made a comeback and continued to win and do well, even while they still continue to break the very rules they've been criticized for. Like, look at Edward Gall, for example. Um, That new, like, totalist baby or, like, yeah, totalist son. I forget his name. Not new. It was from, I think it was from last year or the year before, but there is a video where he got 80% on a dressage test when the horse is behind the vertical, like, severely behind the vertical roll curd for probably 70% or more of the test. Um, and he's been most heavily criticized for his roll curve, and he's being being rewarded publicly, having the videos posted, having people defend him and still like him. And yeah, a good portion of the horse world might not like people like him, and they might not like people like Marilyn Little, Andy Kocher, and so on and so forth. But enough people are willing to support them, and there's enough people that are like vanilla versions of all those people or just better at hiding their bad flaws um, that are still widely accepted. So if you want to just look at the simple facts surrounding it, like welfare is not required at the top levels because if it was, a lot of our quote-unquote favorite upper-level riders would not be there right now because they wouldn't be allowed to. So we can no longer use competition seriously as a defense for ethicality or like fair treatment of horses because the amount of money someone has is not at all correlated with how well cared for their horses there's a lot of people that would be considered like backyard country bumpkins that have horses out on their farms with like cheap fencing and like a shelter that might look shoddy and not pretty but is standing and safe um their horses living year round without blankets and just eating grass and like free choice local hay like show people might look at that and think that that's unfair but honestly those horses are having more of their needs met than the average horse at the upper levels that's being stalled and isolated for a good portion of its life and having a number of different like treatments and training methods applied to it that are probably not in its best interest so the fact of the matter is welfare is not a consideration for success in the horse world. It's not a marker of success because it's not required to succeed. You can be very unethical and meet wide success. Arguably, in a lot of cases, the more unethical you are, the more success you might meet because you're more willing to do what it takes to be rewarded in the sport since welfare and ethics aren't at the forefront of concerns. Um, so... I am tired of people trying to use, like, big names as a justification for welfare. Because, like, honestly, like, when you're making big money in the sport and when you seek to benefit off of how the sport exists as is, and if changing things to completely uproot your practice, if all your horses are, like, solo stall horses and, like, you use harsh bidding contraptions and you pull your horses and you do all these quick-fit shortcuts, going to the extreme and doing, like, the whole barefoot turnout clicker training thing would be, like, unheard of for those people and they wouldn't be willing to do it a lot of those people. 
So if things change to that degree for them to do it, they would no longer be able to meet success without making great changes. Um, And that's why we need to start to kind of shift things more in that direction, because it's not about things having to go to such an extreme or having it to have to be where all horses in competition or being clicker trained or all horses in competition live out 24-7 in a herd. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be that extreme, you know, it has to, but it should be where there's a standard of treatment and care for horses that is required in order for you to meet respect and access certain privileges in the horse world. For example, upper level professionals that don't turn out their horses should not be respected. If they're going to be allowed to compete, because that might be an unfair thing to bar people from competition for, if you're going to let them to compete, people shouldn't be like in support of how they care for their horses. The only reason they meet such support is because of the degree of bad education and lies that people are taught in the horse world and how normalized this lack of care is. So people have motive to lie and pretend that it's totally fine and that there's no issue with it and that some horses are totally fine with it or that some horses require complete isolation in a horsey kennel for the rest of their lives because they're just competition horses because they're all doing the same thing and causing the same stress behaviors and they don't want to own up to it so they have motive to lie about it too because then they don't have to own up to like what they're actually causing and that a lot of their problems are their fault um and so many people are willing to do this to the detriment of their horses. And we'll circle back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, where people love to say that the horse comes first, but when it comes down to it, it doesn't. You cannot say, even if in your life you look at thing, you, you've said the whole, oh, well, like so-and-so at the upper levels does this, or like they're an upper level rider, or you used, you used any form of human viewed status in competition to justify care of an animal then you cannot say the horse comes first because status and the amount of ribbons you win do not correlate with welfare as we have mentioned, but also they have absolutely no correlation with like meeting any sort of species specific needs in general. Like unless the competition itself actually requires that you're doing that in order to compete. So using that as like the justification to say that like this is fine to do is failing to recognize how you actually define welfare and what is fair to horses. Um, just because a lot of people in competition do the same things and get away with it and have horses who are quote-unquote quirky um, doesn't mean that the horses actually need that care. Actually, on the flip side, especially if you look at scientific research and actual statistics surrounding this, those horses that are quirky and weird or can't handle being around other horses or can't handle being out in a bigger pen because they go crazy are like that because of the way they've been cared for, not because of the sport they're in. It's the sport that normalizes this lack of care, not the lack of care that it's the sport the people within the sport that normalize the lack of care that causes these behaviors, not the sport that causes these behaviors themselves. It's the care that is normalized in the sport because there's people who do things well that have these awesome horses who have none of the quirks of these um, upper level competition horses or top level race horses or so on and so forth. And it's because of how they've been handled. And attributing it to anything other than that is doing people a disservice like obviously genetically and behaviorally there's going to be some level of variation but competition horses aren't nutcases who cannot handle socializing with herd animals as they are intended to because they're competition horses they're like that because of how they are treated as competition horses by the people in control of their care um when you care for them properly and when they're raised properly even when they're at the peak of their sport even if they may have other quirks that are unrelated to like management and so on it's not they they don't change they don't suddenly 
become a species anomaly because of the sport. And yes, we've bred breed specific traits to like cater to doing certain sports, but none of those traits breed out horses needs for companionship and like foraging and moving around like all of those are just innate needs of the animal that we use for sport um and people use competition and like what the horse does as an excuse for their treatment and their care all the time like i like the amount of times i heard oh you don't ride western you can't criticize this or you've never competed at this level you can't criticize this or you've never ridden a horse of this caliber so you can't criticize this or this genetic breed horse you can't credit you can't you don't understand and it's just all these little excuses essentially to put blame directly back onto the horse and take any responsibility off of the people for their behavior and then these are the same people that will say never blame the horse like we can't say that anymore because we constantly be blaming the horse constantly literally constantly with the equipment we use with the justifications we use for their treatment with the defenses we use to try to silence any type of criticism relating to common welfare practice of horses with how we try to shut people up when they express concern for equine welfare in general because out of fear that we're going to lose things that we want to continue doing you can't say that the horse comes first if at any chance you choose to protect yourself and your use of your horse over the horse's well-being itself and that is what the horse world has consistently done with so many things that we normalize and do and it's time that we start to own up for it own up to it and change our thinking because yes using horses for competition at its core is going to be selfish because it's for like the human benefit however we've bred all these animals for specific uses and their use is tied to that we've provided people jobs and whatnot so there's a way we can use them for our personal interests in a way that's ethical and fair to them. And we aren't currently doing that on a mass enough scale. So it's time that we start to shift it and it'll benefit everybody. I promise. Like honestly, benefiting equine welfare will make them more reliable in sport and more willing to do what they are being asked because they're not freaking miserable. And it'll also teach people how to read their behavior effectively enough that they can problem solve and de-escalate situations before they become massive problems in the first place. Like there's truly no loss. It's a win-win on either side, but especially the horse. The only real loss is for people who are too proud of like and too in denial and too impatient that they have to they have to reframe their thinking and potentially go through a learning period that might be hard to adjust to but in the end has such a big payoff that it's worth it and like again i say all like all of these judgments that i have about these equipments and like training practices and normalized attitudes in the horse world or because i was like complicit in that for so many years and i actively engaged in those very mindsets and very much believed in them and defended them and was quick to defend so many different people like i even freaking defended bob baffert at one time because i was stupid and i didn't look far enough into it first and actually see the degree of atrocities he committed and i wanted to protect the horse world by defending him even though he's not defensible there's a lot of people that just aren't defensible and if we don't want them to speak for the horse world as a whole then we need to not continue defending the behaviors that they engage in that we feel paint the horse world in a bad light like instead of constantly trying to protect and cover up and be like not all people are like that or like some people have soft hands and can use those things ethically it's like who cares if it's only some like people need to like especially when it's it's like such a few some or if the equipment itself is just so inherent aversive that the few some are just people who are denying the nature of the equipment itself like 
if we don't want the badness of the horse world to be taken as like how all of our mindset is and how we view horses and if we don't want to be viewed as people who don't value horses first then we need to seriously do an overhaul on so many of the justifications and excuses that people use to say why they should be able to use certain equipment or training practices or justify their care of their horses because you know like it's a lot more fair justification for example someone living in a city who has a horse in a small paddock that is let's say i don't know 30 by 30 and it's a shared fence line is that ideal from a welfare standpoint in terms of the perfect ideal no are there probably some welfare repercussions because of it yes is it better than being completely isolated yes if you talk about like the importance of socialization and herd turnout and movement for people for horses and someone's justification for their horse living like that is I live in the city and this is all that is currently available to me that is a much more fair justification than trying to be like oh well my horse just doesn't like other horses because one is trying to deny the presence of a very abnormal behavioral anomaly and very clear sign of stress and one is acknowledging the fact that your situation is not ideal and that you're making do with what you can and it implies that you are going to do extra enrichment to make up for what the situation might be missing out on or at least try to enrich where you can being aware that you're not you're not giving your horse the perfect ideal or aware of where there's room for improvement or aware of where there's potential for welfare deficit is important and it doesn't make you a bad owner to admit to that in fact it makes you a good one because you're actually being honest and realistic instead of covering up your ego at your animal's expense like people have dragged me for the size of turnout that my horses are in and honestly like I work as hard as I do to provide a better life for my horse they're going to retire on their black beauty style acreage with forest and like creeks and shit and all together in a herd once I can afford to give that to them in their current situation I've, I've mentioned this in other podcasts like they have a very large area for where I am especially when you don't own land and when you're either having to rent or board like they're very fortunate for my area um, and if I were to like sell them unless I sold them very far out of area which would be risk for sight unseen they would likely be going into something less ideal, like less of a herd setup or smaller. Um, and if I move away, it's not necessarily going to be a better situation and finding like a rental property is hard. And full board situations are also hard in terms of like providing a better, more stable situation and having the degree of control that I am able to over their life and living situation to be able to provide for them the best they can. But with that said, should th- would it be better for them welfare-wise for their turnout to be larger? Yes, absolutely. Would it be more engaging if they had more different types of trees and shrubs yes absolutely could it be better if i made it into a paddock paradise style and style environment and put a lot of money into it yes absolutely is it practical to do that on a rental property when i'm wanting to be able to afford a house and save for that and be able to do that basically as soon as humanly possible no it is not will they survive with the enrichment that i have been able to provide them and have adequate welfare with what I can provide yes is it the perfect ideal no does it get muddy here in the winter yes do I live in a rainforest yes did I try to improve the footing this past winter yes did it all wash away from an unexpected atmospheric river like nothing we have ever seen before also yes Again, not ideal for horses to be in a wet environment consistently. Not ideal. But this year was unexpected and all we can do is seek to improve for the next time and do better with what we can. But like being able to admit where there's certain areas of improvement even if it's not ability to immediately improve or where there's areas of consideration when you're trying to like 
basically measure your horse's welfare and how much you're providing for them. Being honest with yourself about that isn't saying that you're a bad owner. It's being objective and looking at things objectively. Like a lot of animals that we have in captivity aren't necessarily living in perfectly ideal environments, but it all starts with owners becoming more aware of like what they can make up for and where certain stress behaviors are popping up um, and how to acknowledge those. Like if my horses started weaving or doing some type of stereotypic behavior or some major behavioral change and indicator of stress, it'd be huge red flag to me. That would be an indicator I need to change something immediately or some other type of health issue. That's like an immediate need for change. If something like that arose, I would address it as needed. And it would be something that I would factor in. But like when your animals are content, and you're able to provide for them in the situation they're into the best of your ability, and you're able to make up for any potential deficits that the situation provides, that's called being a proactive owner. So most of what I criticize isn't about being perfect. And it's also like, this is also directed at people who don't own their own horses, because you largely are at the mercy of what equipment you have to use. All you can do is make the best of the situation you're in and be proactive and self-aware enough. Because even if you're riding in a harsh bit that you don't want to ride in for example being aware of that of it the fact that it's something that you don't want to consistently do if you had full control over it or aware of the fact that it's harsher and likely more uncomfortable for your horse allows you to soften your own behavior and change your awareness of how you're using it even if you still have to use it because it's not your horse um and same with like having your horse in a stalled environment for whatever the reason is like I I don't care like I would say long term if it's a healthy horse really try to change the situation but regardless being aware that that impacts their welfare and that it can cause behavioral issues will make you more sensitive and aware of why your horse may be exhibiting certain behavioral issues. And then you can be more conscious of why they may be behaving a certain way under saddle or in hand or having certain difficulties and less likely to react in a way where you're going to be blaming the horse for their behavior and punishing them. It's not even necessarily about changing the care immediately or at all. It's about changing and reframing your mindset to be more considerate and empathetic of your horse. And that's really all it is. It's not about perfection. It's not about trying to immediately go to the other side of what someone thinks is the best for your horse. And like when I'm sharing stuff about turnout and bit equipment and whatnot, it's not me saying you have to do exactly as I do or I hate you. It's me saying, hey, these are some considerations that I did not consider when I was doing these very same things that I'm now considering now and that this is why I'm encouraging people not to use them. Because as far as I'm concerned, like if a management or training practice or a certain piece of equipment has a much higher chance of causing physical or mental distress to an animal it is more fair to be hypercritical of that than it is to expect people to just sweepingly give everyone a free pass when they're seeing things misused or mismanaged or causing animals high levels of distress um because being critical of things that have the most potential to cause harm is fair because it's coming from a place of empathy, even if in theory some people may be able to use such things so perfectly that they don't cause any issue. That's coming from a place of empathy. So whether or not you agree with the extreme that someone takes something to, what you need to understand is that the dislike for certain management situations, training methods or equipments are coming from a place of empathy and concern for the amount of damage that they can cause to the animals that don't handle it as well. Whereas the defense of a lot of this harsh equipment and these harsh methods are coming from a place of defending human convenience. It's not really about considering the horse because statistically, a lot of the most aversive methods and equipment that we use are really criticized in science and training of horses. 
Um, so that, that, that means that like when there's a high potential for it to cause welfare deficit, vehemently defending those very practices and to the point where you don't think anyone should criticize them is coming from a place of seeking to defend yourself rather than for the well-being of the horse so that's the clear difference between both of these sides that i see especially when people refuse to consider the validity of science and really just want to argue the fact that their horse is some genetic anomaly or is just like some special little boy who is way different than what horses as a species have been shown to be um because the odds of that actually being true are so slim and even if you own the one horse or like the 0.0000001% of horses that are just like some sort of anomaly that they like something very aversive or they don't need to be around other horses or they don't like forage or so on and so forth if you have that one horse that is the anomaly what you need to realize is that horse is the exception to the rule so it's not a reason for you to argue against the rule it's a reason for you to nod and go the rule still exists for the vast majority my horse is just a genetic freak or is like this because of past trauma or this that or the other thing or some rare health issue so on and so forth um Having the exceptions to the rule, if you're aware that it's the exceptions to the rule, then when people are criticizing traditional practices that are impacting the masses of the horse of horses negatively, um, you can understand that they're not criticizing people like you who have that one anomaly. But with that said, a lot of people who think that they have that quirky little boy who is different than everyone else are just saying that to excuse themselves and justify their motives behind training or their care practices so they don't have to think about the harder aspect and consider where the behavioral problems are coming from. Once again, speaking from experience. So if it hits and it strikes a chord, I apologize. But again, largely with these podcasts, I'm criticizing my past self. And unfortunately, it seems my past self applies to an awful lot of people who get triggered by what I say. But yeah, if your horse is an anomaly, don't defend, don't argue against the rule for an anomaly. We need to recognize what as a species serves to benefit the vast majority of horses and there's a very clear trend and even across other species like punishment has a lot of negative implications and rewards-based training has a lot of positive um, really pleasant implications for animal welfare and also their participation in training so it's not just horses so like that's the thing that weirds me out about like this whole um aspect of people defending so many of like the very scientifically criticized aspects of horse training and care is that like they they're not even just applying to horses like the trends in training animals are consistent across pretty much any species you can imagine so when you have the degree of horse studies we do that show the welfare implications from a lot of stressful traditional methods versus how positive rewards based training can go in training and how it mitigates risk to horse and human um, for injury. Um, when you're comparing those things and we have the amount of studies on horses that we do depicting those trends, along with all of the same trends on all sorts of different species that are comparable to horses intelligence-wise and also species type-wise, there's really no reason to believe that it doesn't apply to horses just because so many of the horse people in the world are in denial of that fact. Um, and that denial causes us to regress and we are the self-fulfilling prophecy of a lot of our problems a lot of the problems that people have with their horses that they use to justify their treatment and care of the horse are actually directly contributed to the welfare implications of the treatment and care cause um within reason but like 
a lot of the issues people have with their horses under saddle are directly related to management or tack fit or the equipment that they use. And people are encouraged to go get more equipment or get harsher or correct their horse more or tire them out more or do all these things to try to gag their behavioral response and get them to listen better. But they're not actually con- encouraged to address the problem from the source. So then they're perpetually looking to solve a problem that they just continue creating in different ways because all they're doing is suppressing the behavior, suppressing the behavior. And then other problems will always continue arising because you're never actually fully addressing the issues at hand. You're just constantly slapping a band-aid over it. And I had people tell me this way back when, but I never realized it for what it was because the problems that would arise, I couldn't correlate as being directed to the things that I was doing to cause them because they didn't seem correlated. Like my Arabian bolting on me all the time when I was riding, I couldn't consider that that was related to him not being turned out enough until I learned about how much turnout impacts behavior and linking it to those very things. And once I did, it was so clear and so obvious, but it took me getting to all those stages before I really realized. So I guess this podcast is kind of just about encouraging people when you hear things and when they make you feel triggered, because you feel like they're criticizing something that you do with your horse that you think is fine. Get curious and maybe look into why or ask the person why they feel that way or ask the person what made them consider coming to that conclusion or if they have any studies you can read up on or any articles or how they do things. Like, get curious and ask why. Don't just assume it's coming from a place of hatred and judgment about what you're doing or a place of calling you an abuser. Because, like I said, this is a rampant problem that is arguably impacting the vast majority of the horse world with in terms of like management and training practices not being (laughs) ethicality first or having um, things that cause welfare deficits and behavioral problems being taught in mass practice. It's taught to so many different people that like most people are guilty, even people who are now trying to show you different ways of doing things. Most of them were guilty of doing the very same things that you as you at some point. So it's not people saying that you're completely unforgivable or that you're the worst or that they're saying that you abuse your horse or you don't love them but also like we are we've all lied to ourselves at some point and some of us might still be lying when we say we put the horse first because if that were true there's a lot of things that we could no longer justify that are continuously justified and honestly even still like most people can't say they always put their horse first because sometimes yourself comes first and it doesn't mean that putting yourself first has to negatively impact the horse's welfare every time but when it's done consistently and when it's overriding their welfare all of the time then yes it does but putting yourself first in certain situations doesn't necessarily need to impact your horse negatively it depends on the situation so don't we we no longer can justify people saying they put the horse first or like having that be like a horse world norm to say in like all barns when it's not actually reflected and upheld in practice and that is like the such the frustrating thing for me is watching people continuously defend things that are not ethical or fair or when there's a better way and they're just not willing to consider or own up to things that are like literal proven facts about like horse care or well-being or their behavior and they're just in denial but then they claim that they're in it for the horse and it's like if you're in it for the horse where is the desire for continued learning where is the humility and the 
willingness to own up to mistakes and consider that maybe you didn't know enough about equine behavior or that maybe there's more to be learned or that maybe you have been taught things incorrectly because if the horse comes first and that comes above your ego which means that if you have the potential to learn information that could benefit your horse positively and their welfare positively you should be jumping at that chance if the horse truly comes first and so few horse people do that including myself um because they jump to defend themselves first which is putting yourself first. It's not putting your horse first in that state because your horse is voiceless. They can't advocate for themselves. They can't insist that you do things a certain way for their well-being. All they can do is try to show you through their behavior, which they often try to do very loudly and people consistently ignore it, but they can't advocate for themselves. So in order to truly put them first, you really have to be listening and going out of your way to advocate for them, which sometimes means putting your, or often means putting yourself in a place of discomfort and potentially being exposed to information that might turn your world upside down and completely change the way you thought about everything as has happened with a lot of horse people um and it was really hard to deal with at first and honestly even now it's still hard because I I am really hard on myself and um try to operate on like perfection especially with like my personal horses like I have very high expectations for their care and like what I want to do with them in training and how I want them to behave and like how well I want training sessions to always go so that when they don't go up to my standards it can be hard but like completely changing my thought process and kind of becoming more curious and humble and taking their behaviors feedback more rather than getting upset and kind of getting frustrated at myself and like my ability to do things and then inadvertently taking it in training like how I have in the past I get curious and when they respond a certain way I'm like okay why did they do that how can I do this better next time what can I do to improve on this and become more conscious of areas of improvement in their behavior even if it's little and that has been so freeing and rewarding for me and I wish more horse people would do that because when you actually start to address the source of the behavior a lot of the things that frustrate you the most either cease to exist any longer once you really get at them and address them or you start to understand them more so that they become less frustrating and you're able to deal with them more effectively and then they stop they stop escalating to the same degree so these are all things to consider when you're looking at different types of training practices or equipment and I know I've been kind of vague on like specifics of training but basically I just mean traditional practices where the horse's behavior is largely not being considered to the degree it needs to and there's a lot of like normalized distress and poor care practice that is um, seen at a rampant level in the horse world and that needs to change and we need the only way we can change that is by having this conversation and people actually putting the horse first and putting their ego aside and having conversations even if they're difficult about how we can start to modernize and address the horse world and make things better for horses because if everyone gets together and does that and we can come to areas of compromise even if it's not the full perfect extent it's going to improve welfare at the very least for both horses and humans and that starts with the conversation um, rather than just seeking to protect the way things are at the expense of horses. Because again, horse people, I'm sure everyone listening to this, if you haven't, I'm surprised because literally every horse person I've ever met has always said like, the horse always comes first. If this is true, then if the horse comes first, that means welfare discussion should be welcomed and encouraged at any point. Because even if you think someone is off base, the intent is improving the welfare of the horse and for the well-being of the horse. So even if they're off base, they're still well-intentioned. And if the horse always comes first, then the discussion of their welfare should always be welcomed because wanting to improve welfare is putting the horse first, full stop. That is doing it at its core. So just something to consider. Um, because we 
it, it's about time with the amount of time that people spend in the horse world saying that the horse always comes first. It's about time that we actually start doing that in practice and upholding that as a core value as horse people if we're going to say that all the time. Otherwise, horse people just need to start acknowledging what they're doing and being like, yeah, like I just like riding my horse and doing what I want is more important than my horse's well-being and doing it at the speed that I want comes to me for that that that's more important to me than their overall comfort so I'm willing to put their comfort in jeopardy in order to have that happen and if you own up to it honestly like even if I don't agree with you I respect the fact that at least you're not lying to yourself and others and trying to paint a different picture than the reality um but realistically anyone who actually means what they're saying when they say the horse comes first, even if they first respond defensively, they should at least be open to welfare discussion rather than constantly silencing it. And the amount of silencing we see occurring in the horse world, the amount of people we see trying to brush these welfare discussions under the rug, even at the top levels when they're really prevalent in the sport and they don't even want to consider it, it's really sad because the same people will say how much they love their horses. And I'm not denying that they do love their horses, but the horse still doesn't come first. It's a selfish love if you're not willing to open the door for these welfare discussions and actually consider how we can make things better and actually consider the research behind it because the research is really, really obvious like it makes so many of the core problems so abundantly clear and it puts them in easy to read format with stats and clear associations for like the problem that causes x stereotypic behavior or stress behavior and what's associated with making horses more dangerous or less trainable and so on and so on there are so many clear associations that are very very obvious that we could all start to look at and pick away at and consider how we can make things better and change these clear core problems. Um, and that starts with people actually like having the like bazongas to do that, like having the guts to do that, having the guts to like let go and put your ego aside and admit like, Hey, yeah, we could be doing things better because like, I don't know. I think it's way more embarrassing to just be so insistent that you're right, that you just continue doing the wrong thing until you're dead. And then your legacy is just that you were, digging your heels into doing the wrong thing until the day you die despite all the evidence in front of you showing you that it's wrong and while I'm sad it took me as long as it did to get to the point where I've had this really big shift in the way I've considered things in the horse world I'm glad it happened to me when it did rather than going on and on and on for years later because then I could have turned into like one of the monsters that initially taught me a lot of the bad things that I learned to do to horses and I use the term monsters lightly because they're a monster in my life in terms of like the grief and trauma that they caused me and then I caused two horses uh them themselves they do have redeeming qualities and like I'm not denying that these people still love and care about their horses but again it's a selfish love that there's a lot of manipulation and gaslighting in where they're even gaslighting themselves into believing certain things um but the people themselves aren't necessarily bad people but they're enabling themselves in doing bad things by consistently engaging in the manipulation of themselves and others and denial of information and cognitive dissonance um and yeah so again I use monsters lightly if you are listening to this and you feel like you are one of those monsters because you may have trained me at some point just know that I'm not saying you are a completely terrible person but I would encourage you to change your ways if you're still engaging in the same practices because I saw some shit man um but yeah so everyone can change everyone can better themselves it's better to do it today than it is never so whether you're ready to make the jump now or in 
10 years, it's better late than never. And you're, it's also better that you start off slowly and just try some things and start becoming curious and just open to like listening to things that you disagree with or that you're not sure of than it is to just become vehemently against it. And I say this in relation to things that are actually like credible and scientifically founded. This doesn't mean you need to become open to things that are about like ignorantly supporting training methods or equipment that is largely linked to an aversive nature of training. It's about the actual tangible proven things and just becoming more open-minded to that and how it might shift your focus as a horse person and trainer. Um, just some food for thought. This was a really, really like all over the place one. Um, uh, my Vivans has worn off from the day, which is honestly like largely when I record these. So I apologize. Um, but yeah, so that's that. I need to go drink some water and go do some things. But anyways, thank you for listening. Um, just food for thought for horse people, for li- literally anyone to consider. I know I covered a lot of topics here and it can come off very attacky, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just kind of trying to expose this mindset for what it is, because I think a lot of people aren't honest to themselves with like how they're actually justifying things in their head and in practice and how their actions actually reflect the values that they claim they have um so yeah that that's that there's always room for improvement and change like it's never too late don't beat yourself up doing bad things in the past doesn't mean that you can't become better in the future and learn how to be more kind and empathetic all you can do to make up for the bad things you've done to horses in the past is try to advocate for them louder and care for them better in the future that's all you can do unless you have a time machine um in that case you can do anything uh and you can become like the next i mean that's what michael young did because he seems to have no freaking um scandals at this point uh it will literally break my heart if that man abuses his horses anyways um thank you for listening to this mishmash of a podcast i really appreciate it as always thank you for supporting the podcast um and yeah my bridles restocked today so if you want to shop the first restocking there's some in stock i have another shipment coming in soon so if they if this one does sell out there will be another one coming in shortly uh so you can check those out we're having some big sales on my saddle pads sets and saddle pads and also some apparel items um as well so you can shop all of that in the sale um when you buy a bridle if you buy a bridle i encourage you to check it out all the proceeds are still going towards milo's immense vet bills and just catching up from that so i really appreciate the support of my business um and if you like my podcast and you're interested in any training um tutorials or training help or behind the scenes stuff i encourage you to check out my patreon it helps support the podcast and just my other endeavors like that um through like allowing people to subscribe for as little as a dollar a month there's all sorts of different tiers depending on what you're looking to access be it like training help tutorials just general support of the podcast and some behind the scenes product development and so on and so forth uh but you can check all that out on patreon.com slash s-d-e-q-u-u-s and you can shop my bridles at amor equestrian a-m-o-r-e equestrian.ca on the milestone tab that's where all my products are there's the apparel the saddle pads and the bridles highly recommend checking it out i really appreciate the support still trying to build this business it's a small business so um there's a lot of difficulty for getting these uh startups off their feet especially as a singular human being who is not a business person is just trying to be one so the support like the sharing of posts and like all of that like whether you actually buy things or you're just sharing or following the business or liking the business or recommending it to people like it's so helpful and I really appreciate it and same with like even sharing the podcast listening to the podcast 
commenting on the podcast. All that stuff is really meaningful. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you again, everyone. Um, and also for anyone who's interested in testing out Mad Barn supplements, you can use my code SDEQUUS for a discount on your order. And they also have free diet analysis. I've had my horses on them for like the last eight months now, and they're doing fantastic. I'm a huge fan of their products, not sponsored, just really happy with their product um and i really enjoy it so anyways thank you all for listening to this mishmash of a podcast i really appreciate the support and how many people like and appreciate this podcast um and if you know anyone who might need to give this a listen and you think it might help please send them my way and if anyone has good results getting through to anyone or themselves using any of the podcasts i always love hearing those stories it makes me feel good about myself so anyways thank you um i really appreciate all of you have a great day and yeah don't forget to check out the sales. Bye.